reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. successes and the things that we're boasting in and feeling uh, good about. We are to 
exhibit certain qualities and to do certain things that mark the Christian life regardless of those circumstances. And we've been focusing on that so far this semester. We started out by talking about the idea that we believe, we hold our faith no matter what. Uh, we don't relent, we don't capitulate, we don't cave, we don't allow our circumstances uh, to, uh, to drive us with regard to our faith, but our faith is firmly rooted in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We talked about the importance of rejoicing in all times, in all things, no matter what. That rejoicing isn't just an emotional reaction, but it's actually a spiritual discipline. And then last time I was with you, we talked about this issue, this important issue of thinking Christianly, of maintaining a Christian mind and cultivating it and strengthening it, of not being conformed to the pattern of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so today, uh, I'm picking at something that uh, I hadn't put on the original list in the summer when I was lining out chapel, but my wife and I were talking about uh, this particular chapel this week as we head into the Christmas season, and so I'm calling an audible and decided that I would talk about the issue of hope. Um, because I see this word everywhere this time of year. Hope. Saw a bumper sticker. We were on the road going down to Washington, D.C. to catch Lessons and Carols at Museum of the Bible, and I saw a bumper sticker. All it said was hope. I have no idea hope in what, hope to what end. It just said hope. I was looking at Christmas cards to send to a few key people. We have a, one of those things we do with a picture every year and a little sentiment on it, and then I grab a handful of other cards, and I can tell you that the word hope was on the front of a lot of Christmas cards. In fact, one that was particularly interesting to me said, hope, always hope, hope against hope, all the more during this holiday season. And I thought that that was about the most vapid thing I've read in the last six months. It's a cheery sentiment, the idea that we should be positive and optimistic and hopeful, but there wasn't much substance to it, there wasn't much firmness to it, there wasn't much assurance in it. And so I want to talk this morning about this issue of hoping, no matter what. No matter what's going on around us, contextually, no matter what we're experiencing in our personal circumstances, we cling to the hope that is in us, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, no matter what. It's an important thing for us to do, not just in terms of our own existential situations and trying to maintain some kind of happiness. It's a theological construct. Remember, uh, faith, hope, and love, right? The greatest of these is love, but these things remain. Faith, hope, and love. It's an important one. It's also a word that gets used in a lot of different ways, as Dr. Plummer so ably pointed out to us, the importance of being accurate. You know, it's a funny thing about words. We, we use them because it fits to the thing we're trying to describe, right? It, we look for a word that works to describe what we see or what we're feeling or what we're thinking or... Uh, describing something that we want someone else to understand. We use words to communicate, to convey ideas. And it works this way that we choose a word and send it out. It also works this way that when a word gets co-opted, it isn't just that we can no longer use that word, it's that the way the word is being used actually starts to impact our thinking of it. Think about the importance of how that works so easily on the issue of love. Everybody talks about love, and that's a good thing. Love's a good thing to talk about. I, I, I think that's great. But if we mistakenly refer to love and we equate love 
with, with the issues related only to human sexuality, it isn't just that we're using love like the broader context is. It's very dangerous that the way in which the context we find ourselves in is using the word love starts to affect our own thinking about that word. And the same thing happens with hope. Hope is a, is a word of great substance. It occurs frequently in the Bible. It's, it's got all kinds of theological significance to it. And yet in our contemporary culture, hope is sort of this, this idea of optimism or wishfulness. You know, sort of, well, I, I hope. I have to tell you honestly, um, I, when I'm, I'm on the road a lot and I have to swing through, and one of the things I like to do is get a large unsweetened iced tea. And there are a couple of McDonald's that I go to when I drive up. I am hoping against all hope that it is unsweetened when I get done. Because if it's not... I have to go all the way around, or I have to go inside, and I get into the drive-thru and think, I really hope they get it right this time, I really hope they get it right this time. That's a very different hope from the hope expressed by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians where he says, we were lost without hope, and then Jesus came. It's a very different kind of hope. But the temptation is that we start thinking about this idea of hope in our Christian lives the way that the word hope is used properly. There's a lot of words that happens with Think about the word awesome. It's an incredible word, but it's used so much that it's kind of lost its impact. Awesome refers to everything now. I was with someone a while ago, and I said, those are nice shoelaces, and they said, they're awesome. And I thought, they're not awesome. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have goosebumps. I'm not like, I don't have to sit down when I look at them. I just, they're, they're just, they're shoelaces. And, you know, awesome shoelaces, that's great, but awesome God, that's, something else altogether. Right? You know how that works. And so the same thing's true here. And this issue of being hopeful is not just simply a nice sentiment that we think hopeful people have. You know how that is. You have some people who are more hopeful than others. You have those friends that, that actually are very optimistic. I think I've referenced in here before. I have an uncle. We used to always say that Uncle Bob sees the world through rose-colored glasses because he literally has red lenses. I mean, literally wears rose-colored glasses. But he's always a hopeful individual. That's not what we're talking about here. Some of you are more optimistic, more hopeful. You know, I was, I was in the car going through the drive-through, and my wife is always more optimistic than me. And I said, I know they're going to get my iced tea wrong. No, no, they'll get it right. No, they're not going to get it right. You know, yes, they are. She's more hopeful than I am about the iced tea. Because she doesn't drink it. I do. <laughs> and that's the way those words work, right? This is a big word. In fact, the Apostle Paul uses it here in this passage referring to the resurrection that Dean Swift read for us, which ends with this idea that if only in this life we have hope, then we should be pitied more than anyone else. So there's something substantive and significant about this word hope that is to mark our lives as Christians. The Apostle Paul, in referencing the fact that some have lost hope in the resurrection, means that if Jesus hasn't been raised and we're not going to be raised, then all we're hoping for as Christians is better existence in this life. And if that's the case, then we should be pitied more than anyone else because everything we believe to be true is a lie. We're wasting our time and energy on things that actually have no eternal significance. And in that, there's no hope, only pity, only despair. And so let me challenge you with a couple of things, like so many other words in our language. This isn't something that we can deal with exhaustively in 30 minutes. But I do have a few thoughts and observations I'd like to share with you related to the culture and I think the teaching of Scripture around this idea of hope and hopefulness and maybe some implications for the way you are living 
your life now and the way you're thinking about these things. I've been fascinated lately, mostly because these things always catch my eye. This has been going on for a while. It's not new, although I think it's becoming more and more pervasive as we sort of disconnect from the TV and uh, connect more deeply to our phones and other devices that we have access to things on a fairly regular basis and the themes that are present in movies now are not the kinds of themes that my father would have been exposed to you know hiding a nickel from his stepmother so he could see a movie on a Saturday you can actually access stuff whenever you want 24 hours a day and so the themes and things that are taking place in the popular culture and the media around us are constantly accessible to us and bombarding us and I've been thinking a lot partly because I'm teaching the government class as well, about our culture's preoccupation with dystopian themes. And I think that our culture's preoccupation with dystopian themes may in fact give us some insight into our culture's perception of hope. It's almost fashionable to despair. But the posture of despair doesn't fit Christians. It's not something we should glorify or romanticize. We are to be a people of hope. And so despair is something that we should be looking for a remedy to, not simply accepting as the end. And these dystopian themes about the world gone wrong and, and everything being bad and nothing being redeemable, I understand there's some intellectual uh, uh, exercise in that that may be helpful, and I understand why people write this way. The danger is that we become so preoccupied with it that we actually, we actually romanticize, we actually think that's the way it should be that our heroes are complicated people with a dark side and an evil side. There's no pure sort of goodness or no pure sort of evil. There's all of that stuff going on, and these are the things that are taking place all around us. And I'm very interested in how much we're in digesting these, these, these dystopian themes, and I think it says something about the degree of hopefulness. At the same time that that's going on, though, because I'm on the Insta, there's all this optimism all this positivism, all this, this sort of thematic stuff uh, about hoping and almost at the same time we talk about hope in these Pollyannish terms. We hear people reacting to negativism by, negativism by calling us to be hopeful people who are always looking for the silver lining and the brighter side of things. But this also strips hope of its substance and makes it about little more than wishing things were better or being hopeful that things will always get better. This posture doesn't fit the Christian either. We're not to be the sort of dystopian, despairing people who don't see any, 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 any possibility of redemption and correction, and neither are we to be people who are whistling through the graveyard, pretending that all we have to do is think something's going to be better, and that'll necessarily make it so. Neither one of those fits us as Christians. They're both, they're both shallow. They're both rooted in something that is, to be honest, quite selfish about how we feel in the moment hope is to be much more than that for the Christian, much more than that. But the other thing that interests me is the, the, the conversations that I see in the world around us regarding hope, and they're creeping in, not creeping in, not creeping in the door, they're dining with us. The, the world's ideas regarding hope are present in the church. And it isn't just that we're confused about it or that we've uh, given up on it or that we're looking at it in a Pollyannish way. It's that we're actually focused on the effect of hope in a wrong way. But listen, it's not just the effect of hope that matters. It's the object of hope that matters. It's the substance of hope that matters. It's the commitment to hope that matters. 
The hopeful posture of the Christian is unwavering. It rests upon the promises of God, and it's rooted in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that ought to affect the way you think and live every day. Every day. If you just think about that. The hopeful posture of the Christian is unwavering. Look at what the Apostle Paul is saying to these Christians. See, I, I understand some of you have actually given up on the resurrection. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Now, admittedly, the resurrection is a radical idea. I mean, honestly, uh, it is something that I think leads people who don't have faith in Jesus Christ to look at us like we're a little crazy because this is something. The trumpet's going to sound and graves are going to shake and the sea is going to get up, give up its dead and we're going to be reanimated in perfect, immortal, perfect form. Like everything will be changed. We will have new bodies that will be, that will be transformed into eternal corporeal phenomena. It's, it's, it, you don't want to miss it, right? You don't want to miss it. But it's a little crazy. And Paul's saying, look, I know that everyone around you thinks this is crazy, but I understand some of you have given up. Don't give up. This is the thing in which we hope. We know that at the end, we will spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. That all things will be made whole, and His salvation will be fully realized for all of us. And so in light of that, don't waver. Don't give up. He states this when he's writing to the Corinthians. He said, look, in our own suffering, we hold to the one hope that is in Jesus Christ. Because we know that this suffering is momentary and fleeting. All the things that we're experiencing here, they're temporal. So we have to be careful that it's not just the object or the, the effect of hope, rather, that matters, but the object of it, the, the, the commitment to it, this unwavering nature of hope that, that it only remains unwavering when it is properly placed. It has to rest upon the promises of God. In fact, what Paul is doing here is reminding them of this truth of the resurrection. So we cling to it. One of the things that I think that is very frightening to me and to so many others of my colleagues here who serve on the faculty and staff is that it's impossible to exhort you and to encourage you and to inspire you to hold fast to the promises of God if you don't know it. This is why we do what we do here academically. That the study of Bible and theology is to, is to put you in the Word of God that you might know it and come to learn of Him. And part of that is learning the promises of God that can be claimed. And one of them is not that they will always get your unsweetened iced tea order ready and right. But rather, the unwavering commitment to the promise of God that we shall all be raised and or changed on the final day. That Jesus will have the final victory. That His grace is sufficient. These promises of God are the things that we hold to, but we have to know what they are. And that all of this rests upon the person and work of Jesus Christ. I was thinking about this in the Christian season. I love the story a little deeper in the Gospels, a little after the birth of Jesus, when Jesus is taken to the temple and Simeon is presented with the child. Remember, Simeon is told he won't taste death until he has a chance to see the Messiah. One of the things that I think is interesting that we get confused about with Christmas is this idea that 
hey, there was this baby that was born, and we're all kind of hoping that things are going to get better now that he's here. Not Simeon and Anna in the Gospels. They've actually been clinging to it, believing that Messiah would come, waiting for him, hoping that he would come, and believing that when he comes, all things will be made right, that there is salvation and redemption. It's not hoping this kid will make things better. It was the hope in him as Messiah. That's a very different thing, brothers and sisters. It's not crossing our fingers, hoping or wishing that maybe Jesus will make things better. It's actually standing upon the firmness that in him is our hope and alone in him is our hope. In so doing then, going back to that Christmas card, we must do more than merely hoping in hope. That's little more than having faith in faith or loving love. That kind of vapid sensibility is not grounded in truth. It's simply a humanistic attempt to make ourselves feel better in the moment. We should want more than that. We should want a hope that perseveres, a hope that gives us courage and strengthens us and gives us resilience. Feeling better alone is a short-lived outcome. Hope and hopefulness rightfully conceived of and held to, they strengthen us, fortify us, increase our resilience. They give us assurance and they point us toward eternity regardless of our circumstances or context. That is substantive. That is significant. But it is hope placed in the right thing, understanding what it is. It is not simply wishing things would be better. It is not simply being an optimist. It's actually tied to faith. That we believe and we trust and we hold and we look expectantly to the future. There's some interesting things that happen to us culturally. Um, when I was coming up, there was this alternative Christian music that was on the scene and an artist who's a little advanced in years now, probably Steve Taylor, had a song and basically it says, I feel better now that I gave up hope. And I remember reading an old uh, Louis L'Amour Western where a character said that, how are you doing today? And he said, better since I gave up hope. There's this thing that happens to us in culture where we get beat down by life and we think, well, if I just stop hoping, then I wouldn't be expecting so much. And, then I'll get through it a little easier. That's not really a good way to live. At the same time, what ends up happening to us is we, we find ourselves, well, we find ourselves thinking that hope is for people who are just naturally more happy. And I hope that you will actually think about not just whether or not you buy into this idea that as Christians we are to always be hoping, but if you actually give some thought. Have you checked out or are you despairing? Have you decided there's nothing in life worth hoping for? And so you're going to embrace the idea that I'll actually be happier if I give up hope. Or will you push through and realize that you go through a lot of things in life without actually contemplating the big things that matter, like the resurrection, 
like eternity, like all that's accomplished for us in and through Jesus Christ. It isn't that your everyday circumstances don't matter, but when we allow ourselves to give up over things that are fleeting, it's probably beneficial for us to stop and back up and think about the importance of hope to the Christian, that it is Jesus who is the object of our hope. It is Jesus who holds it together, and it is Jesus who will make it whole and realized in the end. In other words, in this Christmas season, when people are talking about joy and love and peace and hope, it will be good for us so that we don't allow the vocabulary and the sensibilities of the world to drive our own understanding of these things, to stop and think about what they mean to us in terms of truth, in terms of God, in terms of Jesus. Perhaps in this season when people talk about having hope, you'll step back and think about the fact that you don't want a vapid, emotionally driven, circumstantial, contextual understanding of hope, but you want one that is unwavering, resting upon the promises of God and fixed upon Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, we uh, do thank you for the days that you give us. We thank you for the time that you give us together here at Cairn. I thank you for these students, for the faculty and staff who are serving here, for this community which you've preserved for more than a century, for the mission that you have given us to carry out. Thank you for your watch care over us, for your provision, for your protection of this community, and for giving us to one another as gifts. And we pray that we might encourage one another, love one another, pray for one another, spur one another on towards love and good deeds, exhort one another, uphold one another, edify one another, even so much that we might encourage one another to think on these ideas in substantive and significant ways. That we would challenge one another to think more deeply about these ideas, about our navigating life in this world and dealing with our own personal circumstances. We pray that your spirit would be at work in us individually and collectively. That you would enable us to have a hope that is unwavering. A posture of hopefulness that will point people to Jesus because it is in him that our hope alone rests. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Have a great Monday.